What are you looking forward to? What are you looking forward to? In 1959, Kai Coleman and Carolyn Lee composed a song titled, The Best is Yet to Come. It was made culturally popular by Frank Sinatra in 1964. Interestingly, in 1969, Apollo 10, the fourth human space flight in the United States and the second to orbit the moon, took flight. The three astronauts on, three astronauts on the flight were John Young, Thomas Stafford, and Gene Cernum. Ever heard of them? Nope. Because it was Apollo 11 that carried Buzz Aldrin and landed on the moon with the famous saying, giant step for man, giant leap for man, giant step. Yeah, you guys know it. Small step, thank you, thank you. I didn't put that in my notes. I was just, you know. Wah, wah, wah. So Apollo 10 was referred to as the dress rehearsal, literally the dress rehearsal for the moon landing. And the Apollo 10 team woke up every morning listening to Frank Sinatra sing, the best is yet to come, knowing that they were partaking in something beautiful but would not see it fully. Last week, I had the opportunity to be a part of, host, if you will, MC a, a business party for a local business at the restaurant Maggiano's. How many of you guys have ever eaten at the restaurant Maggiano's? There you go. It's a family-style restaurant in Brentwood. When it was time to eat, the waitress brought out some of the most glorious and amazing food. It started with crusty Italian bread followed by two huge salads, a Caesar and the Maggiano's house salad. Then she brought out this huge plate of mozzarella marinara. It was chicken that was breaded and surrounded by mozzarella cheese covered in what I would say was a pretty decent red sauce. <laughs> it was amazing. And after I had my full, the waitress came and took our plates, and I realized in that moment, this is sincere, realized in that moment that there was another plate under the plate that she had just taken. And I looked at her and I said, is there more? And she said, oh, honey. <laughs> and I quote, the best is yet to come. And yep, they brought out homemade ravioli, fettuccine alfredo, mom's lasagna, and more bread. What are you looking forward to? We're in a series on hope, and each week as we've steeped in hope, our heart, my heart for us as a church is that our hope quotient would increase. And my proposition for us today is that Christians should be hope-filled people because for us, the best is yet to come. You know, it's interesting. If you look at the world 
today, especially today, and how they think about the future, it's not very hopeful. I mean, look at the movies and the TV shows that are coming out now that talk about the future that is ahead of us. We're either going to destroy each other in nuclear war, be burned up by the sun or destroyed by an asteroid, killed by some virus or pandemic, captured and destroyed by aliens or Roberts, robots, or better yet, experience the zombie apocalypse. That is the future that the world tells us is in front of us. In all seriousness, if this is what we have to look forward to, Perhaps one of the reasons why we have some of the greatest amounts of depression and anxiety ever seen in a culture before in our world is because of what is to come. You see, we are hope-based creatures. We're designed and created to hope. And there's a principle that is important for us to remember, and it is this. How you think about your future determines how you live in the present. How you think about your future determines how you live in the present. Let me illustrate if I can. Imagine you had two people, exactly the same circumstances, exactly the same amount of money, same age, same experiences, and you bring them together and you put them in the same exact scenario that they're going to have to peel potatoes for a year. They're going to be in the same room, with the same tools, with the same everything. And right as January 1st approaches and they're about to step into that room and peel potatoes for one year, you go over to the one person and you say to them, at the end of this year, I'm going to give you $25,000. And then you go over to the other person and you say, at the end of this year, I'm going to give you $25 million. Imagine a couple weeks into the project where these two people come together to have lunch. And the one who's only going to get 25000 at the end of the year says, This stinks. I am not enjoying this. In fact, I want to quit. I'm done. Who wants to do this? It hurts. It's, it's tedious. It's arduous. And then the $25 million person comes. And you can imagine how they walk into the room. Whistling. Yeah, this isn't so bad. I could do this, actually, I could do it all the time. I'm having a great time. Why? Because our future absolutely determines how we live in the present. You see, Paul knew that we were hope based creatures, he knew that the best was yet to come. And so, in Romans chapter 8, verse 18, he says to the church, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. You see, his, for Paul, his hope was guaranteed because of Jesus. That since Jesus had lived, died, rose again, and ascended, there was a promise of a future world, a future kingdom, a future return that he was so convinced of, so hopeful in, that he knew for sure and without a doubt that he could live and endure whatever it was that this life would bring his way. That for Christians, 
It's not asteroids and climate change and zombie apocalypses. No, a biblical hope is a future hope of an ultimate good. We've been defining biblical hope this way. It's a confident expectation and desire for God's plan for good in the future. That to hope as a Christian, there's something confident and assured. It's not a wishing that there's a guaranteed expectation for God's plan for good in the future. My friends, I would ask you again in this Advent season, what are you looking forward to? When you engage this life with the good and the bad, does your heart proclaim the best is yet to come. Well, Paul, in this passage in Romans, invites us to grow in this hope. And I'd like to give us three principles for putting our hope in the best that is yet to come. If I could read just one more time, verses 23 through 25, where Paul offers some very practical helps for us here. He says, And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, Grown inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope for who hopes for what he sees. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Three principles. He invites us to wait imaginatively, wait eagerly, and wait patiently. First, to wait imaginatively, to imagine what the world will be like. Talking about the end of the world, it is a strange topic. My guess is that for most of us in this room, it will not be a topic of conversation at Christmas dinner later this week. But I also have found that in my short time as a pastor, when it comes to things about the end, Christians often have this weird way of shrugging it off, of saying it's too complicated to understand, or, or who really knows how things are going to play out at the end. We, we have this tongue-in-cheek response to the book of Revelation and what, the future te- what we're told about the future in the Bible. And today, I'd like to press on us a little bit in that. Paul here is talking about a future that we need to embrace complete final redemption, the coming of a new kingdom. Verse 24, he says, For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? And and in essence, what he's saying here is, he's saying we have something that isn't yet fully here. There's something that we're looking forward to. And And it's this beautiful kingdom that God is going to bring, that he's going to restore the world to the way that it was meant to be, that we're a part of a story that is so much bigger and beautiful than even just our immediate, simple lives. That Paul wants us to look forward to something, to have a hope in something that is to come. There is so much for us to look forward to. And I wonder if this morning... (laughs) I could invite you actually to do something with me. Maybe you're in a place where it's hard to look forward to something. That for you, thinking about what is to come is just making it through today. 
making it through this next week, which could be not something filled with joy or an anticipation for you, but more filled with anxiety and fear. Paul's offering us here a tool for how to navigate the ups and downs of this life. And he says part of what we need to do is we need to hope for what we do not see. And I think what Paul's calling us to here is to hope is built by waiting imaginatively, that we need to engage our brains and our minds and our thought about what that future kingdom is going to feel like and taste like and look like and sound like. So I want to ask you if we could just maybe imagine it right now. If you're willing, you don't have to do this. You can look at me. You can look at the screens. But I want to ask you to consider just joining me in an imaginative exercise. I'm going to read out of Revelation chapter 22 a picture of that future kingdom, and I'm going to read it very slowly. So if, if you would, I'm going to ask you to close your eyes and try to be a six-year-old for just a second and let your mind run wild with this picture that God gave us through the Apostle John about this future kingdom. Revelation 22 says this, Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb through the middle of the street of the city, also on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accursed but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and his servants will worship him. They will see his face, and his name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. Isn't that a place you'd like to go? I love the part that said, the tree will have leaves for the healing of the nations. My friends, the best is yet to come. Part of the way that we navigate this present life is to ponder, consider, reflect, and imagine from Scripture what our future holds. C.S. Lewis, in his book, Mere Christianity, he wrote this. It is since Christians have largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective. Aim at heaven, and you will get earth thrown in. Aim at earth, and you get neither. Not only does our world need hope, but we need hope. And the invitation is to let our minds engage with the future hope that is ours. One practical thing, if I could here. Do you know that one 
of the best ways to engage our imaginations is singing. Singing. It's no wonder that God taught his church and called his church to sing. That at the throne of heaven, like we did just sing, they're crying out, holy, holy, holy is the Lamb. There's something powerful about what happens in our minds and our hearts and in our bodies when we sing. It engages our minds in a way that helps us to be reminded to embrace the hope of redemption that is to come. So maybe today or this week in your car or in 2024, we would be a culture, a church that would constantly be singing the hymn of heaven, worshiping with all of our hearts and all of our voices because we want to embrace and imaginatively envision what is to come. Well, the second thing Paul invites us to is he invites us to wait eagerly, to wait eagerly. When you hear that word eager, what comes to mind for you? Maybe it's that time of year, but I couldn't help but think about kids waking up at four in the morning saying, is it time, is it time? That there's this eagerness and anticipation of something so wonderful that is to come. Listen to what Paul says in verse 23 again. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, we have the first fruits of the Spirit. We groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. You see, when, when someone puts their faith in Christ, they immediately become a part of the family of God. The language that we use is justification, that you've been justified, that you are now called righteous and holy and a part of God's kingdom. And one of the most significant aspects, there are so many that we could talk about, but Paul brings one very significant piece of this to the puzzle for us here is that he talks about our adoption as sons and daughters. That in that moment that God looks at those who have faith in Jesus and says, you are my daughter, you are my son. And at the same time, we, we have not yet fully realized the reality of what we have yet. I mean, we're not fully in God's presence like we will be in eternity. So we are positionally adopted as sons but we're, and daughters, but we're also learning. We spend this life trying to understand and fully realize what that means until the day when we're in God's presence and do fully understand it. We have a taste of it now but we don't have it fully yet. This is actually some biblical or theological language that we use to describe this. We call it the already not yet principle. Gerhardus Voss, a famous theologian, he said this about that. The theological concept of already but not yet holds that believers are actively taking part in the kingdom of God. Although the kingdom of God will not reach its full expression until some time in the future, we are already in the kingdom, but we do not yet see it in its full glory. We wait eagerly because 
Even though we know God now, even though we are his child, even though we are adopted into his family, there is a day coming when we will fully be in his presence, when we are fully redeemed, when we have resurrected, redeemed bodies. wonder if in this moment you could with me imagine being an orphan, alone, desperate, and needy, and an unimaginable great father would come and say, I choose you to be my child. And imagine what that first embrace would be like. That, that if you were there and he was across the room, the moment of that child running to that father and fully realizing the embrace of being called a son and a daughter. How eager would that child be for that embrace? J.I. Packer, in his book, Knowing God, wrote, if you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. Today, church, let us hear the invitation from Paul to wait eagerly for the fullness of what it is to come. May we give thanks and practice this idea of thinking about God's embrace. Well, we wait imaginatively, we wait eagerly, and finally, we wait patiently. We wait patiently. It's what we do in the in-between. It's interesting, patience and hope are deeply intertwined. You see, to be impatient is to live without hope. Let that sink in for a moment, because it was deeply convicting to me. To be impatient is to live without hope. When I was impatient at the Walmart checkout, when I was impatient with the driver in front of me, when I was impatient with the health insurance rep on the phone, it said something about my hope. Paul, in verse 25, he said, But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. I learned something about patience this week. I think or have thought and also believe, maybe you do too, that when we hear this word patience or to be patient, it means twiddling our thumbs and not getting mad. That we're just, if we're supposed to be patient and we want something, it's like, well, I'm just, okay, I'm just going to sit here in the Walmart pickup line. I'm just going to not get mad and I'm not going to get mad and that doesn't work very well for us. We think of patience as gentle tolerance or passive waiting. But in the New Testament, patience is an active and robust word. 
In Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, actually the author there says that we run with patience. Patience is a persevering toward a goal. It's enduring trials. It's expectantly waiting for a promise to be fulfilled. You see, because we are imagining the future and because we are eager for that same future, we wait patiently, which means that we don't just sit back, but there's actually this interesting joining with God in what's happening in our current world. There's a phrase that John Calvin said that, that we believe is incredibly important about how we wait and how we wait patiently, and it's this, and that in our waiting, we are making the invisible kingdom visible. If we're imagining something beautiful that is to come, something that's unbelievable that we could, could picture that is glorious with no poverty and no evil and no pain and no hurt and no sin, that there's something about us where we're saying, we've gotten a taste of that which we're going to make visible today until the invisible kingdom becomes a reality. And so what should happen in our hearts is, we should begin to think about, okay, God, in the waiting, in this time, as I patiently wait for your return, I want to think about, ponder, reflect the invisible kingdom by making it somewhat visible today. So let me make this incredibly practical. <laughs> Maybe this week, as you experience those moments of impatience, maybe we could welcome those moments as an opportunity for the kingdom to become visible in us and visible to the world. You see, I think the way that we begin to grasp and think about making the invisible kingdom visible is we have to start recognizing the opportunity to do this in all the moments and every moment of our lives. As we start to see every single moment of my life has an opportunity for me to embrace eternity. So the challenge would be for me as I experience those moments of impatience, that maybe I would say a simple prayer and see that God wants to use this to stir in me a hope for what is to come, a hope for something greater, hope for something more beautiful, a hope that the best is yet to come. I think back to that meal at Maggiano's, <laughs> Sometimes it's easy to miss that there's something better coming. And I think about those Apollo 10 astronauts and how they truly believed that they were a part of something great. What if we became a people that truly lived believing that the best is yet to come? That we could live patiently and imaginatively and eagerly for a future kingdom. This morning, I found myself impatient as I was waiting for the hot water in my shower to turn hot. And in that tiny moment of impatience, maybe because 
of Advent, maybe because of the word, maybe because I was about to preach this message. I thought and prayed a simple prayer, and I said, Father, help me see all my moments of waiting as a reminder that there is a future world that I am truly longing for. Father, grow hope and patience in me today as I humbly wait for your kingdom. See, my friends, we can have hope today because it's almost Christmas. Jesus broke into our world as a fulfillment of a promise, and we celebrate Advent because we are waiting imaginatively, eagerly, and patiently for another promise that he made. The best is yet to come. Let's pray. Awesome God, grow our hope this morning. Father, we pray that you would help us to live in light of the future promise of your kingdom. Jesus, we pray that you would help us to give ourselves to revealing your kingdom, to joining you and being a part of that. And Spirit, may we love deeply those around us that we encounter this week because of the hope we have in your future kingdom. Come change us and make us a people of hope, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.